Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the When to Jump podcast. I am joined here by Don Graham, the Director of Career Management at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. Don uh, looks over the Executive MBA program, uh, which for those who don't know, and, and I'm sure Don can tell, tell you about this a little bit in more depth and, and better explanation, but uh, is for folks who have a full-time career and are making uh, the jump into a business uh, school program, uh, you know, going through all of the, the requirements of, um, of the experience while balancing a full slate of uh, career responsibilities and, and, and also, in many cases, a family and, and a whole slate of personal activities as well. Um, did I have that right, Don? That, yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> so I'd love to hear just a very quick background on what got you into this role, what drew you to this um, really interesting perch in education that's, that's helping people jump um, who have full-time jobs and lives. Yeah, great question, Mike. So what is going on in the, especially the executive MBA ranks is the, the demographics and the goals of the program are really shifting. So about a decade ago or more, most people came to these types of programs because their company was sponsoring them financially and they wanted to get an advancement in their company in some way or fashion. And now what we're seeing is that more than 50% of the people who come to executive MBA programs want to make some type of switch, some type of leap. So they, they, for example, have been in engineering and they want to move into more of a finance career or they've been in more of a traditional maybe supply chain role and they want to do a startup. So a lot more people are realizing mid-career that they're, they're making great strides on their ladder, but that they're on the wrong ladder. Wow. So that's, that's fascinating. And it's something that we talk a lot about in this community and I get a lot of questions on, which is, is it too late to jump? Is it, is it the right investment to, to go back to school? Um, can I do it all at once? Uh, wh- what have you found from the folks you've seen in this kind of changing demographic that, that has entered into executive MBA programs like at the Wharton School? Yep, and I want to untangle that question because there's a couple of really great questions in there that I think our students and many others who are thinking about making a leap are asking themselves. And you know, the first one being, is it too late? And I think that that's the great thing about the marketplace that we're in today. Whereas you know, years ago you would go to a company and plan to retire there and get your gold watch and move on. In today's market, you have the gig economy and portfolio careers and side hustles and all these other things that are completely acceptable. And people are realizing, you know what, I maybe liked what I did, or this was a great path when I started, but now I have the opportunity and the flexibility to do something new. And it's not too late. I think what 
isn't keeping up as well is the hiring process. So the hiring process that was designed is still very traditional in nature. So it's still looking for very traditional candidates in the sense of people who are kind of going up the same ladder. And with applicant tracking systems and bias in the in the hiring process, people are not understanding how to hire people, for example, who are making a switch and to see transferable skills. So that's where that's where things are getting a little bit more difficult for for what I call switchers and why I wrote a book about it because I see that there's many, many executives who come to this program and, and clients that I've had outside of this program who are incredibly capable but can't get past the bias in the hiring process. So that's one part of the question. And then you know the other part about going back to school. So I think going back to school can be a great thing, but I don't think it should be the first thing. A lot of people feel like, well, I don't have experience in this given field, so maybe going back to school is going to be a great first step. The challenge with that is that I think you need to do a lot of soul-searching to decide if it's a step for you before you get into an expensive and time-consuming program. And I think the second part of it is that usually experience trumps education. So while you can make great contacts in an education program, you can certainly learn the lingo and, and gain some basic skills in an area, it's not often the magic bullet that enables you to just automatically make a leap into something new. People are going to want you to have some, some real life experience. So before just going back to school as a first step, I think it's worth doing your due diligence so that you know, for example, does the, maybe it's a master's program, does it give you world experience um, working in real situations or does it have internships or does it have other things where you can actually get into uh, an office or into the scenario that you're going into and really understand what it's like? That's super helpful and, and I think a really nice and honest approach to this where there is no silver bullet uh, to be able to say, okay, now I'll be happy if I go join this program, get this degree, and then magically appear satisfied in a totally new job and career, right? Like that's not necessarily A, how you get that job, or B, if that's how you find satisfaction in your job. Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are disappointed because they're, you know, going back to school is great. I mean, if it's it's on your bucket list or you just love to learn or, you know, you want to expand your network, I mean, it has a lot of benefits. But I think when you, you go into it with, with eyes closed and not realizing that, you know, just checking that box of getting a degree or even a certification in this particular field or especially isn't going to open the door, that at the end of that year, two years, or however long the program is, you're still going to have a pretty difficult job search ahead of you that's something you have to go in with your eyes open and you know find out does the the place you're going have placement available for you and what are the numbers around that is that going to be helpful for you because a lot of people don't ask those questions till they're actually into the program and already paying tuition and that's a little bit too late to be asking because those are important questions yeah and i wanted to actually ask you about that what if you're if you're sitting uh, at an unsatisfying job and thinking about a change and you don't exactly know what to do, you know, what is that first thing you can do? Yeah, I think the first thing you, you can do is actually first think, why am I unsatisfied in my job? Why is this not working for me? Because sometimes it's not at all what you're doing. It's just a function of where you are or the people maybe you're working with. Maybe it's your boss. And, you know, can I find satisfaction where I am by making a few tweaks? Because, it, it you know, there really is no easy answer. And especially if you're you're diagnosing the problem and it's not the, the right problem. So, so I think that's first. And then secondly, I think it's really important to – 
leap to versus leap from. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people know they don't want to do what they're doing anymore. And so they just start kind of you know, throwing, throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. And it's really difficult to make a job shift when you don't have a clear what I call plan A, when you haven't really distilled it down into the industry and the geography and the you know the type of role that you want and how your skills play into that and is there a market for that so I mean I really think that once you figure out you don't want to be where you are the next important step is figuring out specifically what you want to do. I kind of answered a question that came into the podcast a few weeks ago uh, from Brian in L.A. <laughs> it's like sleepless in Seattle. Brian in L.A. keeps getting used as this <laughs> case study, but it is such a good question. It's like, what do you do before you're ready to jump and finding out what it is? You know, for me, I say it comes from a, a sense of curiosity. What, what are you interested in? Where do you find yourself being pulled? What makes you curious? Um, is that a kind of starting point in, in asking what do I like to do from your book or what are you seeing? I think that's a great starting point. And one of the things I recommend is talking to as many people as you can, finding out what's their day-to-day like. Because we have so many people around us, friends, colleagues, family members. And I think when you ask most people, what do they do? Like really specifically, you may know that they work at a specific company, but what do they really do? You start to say, huh, you know, I don't really know what they do. But when you start talking to the people who you're around every day and saying, what's your job like? What do you love about it? What surprises you about it? You know, what would you change if you could? And you really start understanding the types of roles that are out there. Then you can start to assess, hey, that sounds like it would be a good fit for me. I know a lot of people talk about finding your passion. And I have to say that that's not one of my favorite pieces of advice. And I think that's because it's it's almost burdensome because you feel like, oh, I should have one passion. And, and what is it? And I don't know what it is. And, and you, know, you start to try and, and kind of stress yourself out when, in fact, you might have many passions. And in some cases, those passions are not going to be something you actually want to make money from. You know, some cases they are, but that's why you need to kind of talk to those people and say, what's your day to day like? And what, what do you wish you knew before you got into this? Because sometimes when a passion or a hobby becomes something that you get your paycheck from, all of a sudden it's a lot less enjoyable because you hadn't thought through all of the implications of how it would impact other areas of your life. Yeah, it's so interesting. We have um, Seth Godin, who came on the podcast, uh, or is coming on the podcast. um, And it's just so funny, because he talks about loving what you do, not doing what you love, and how it's probably more important to just love what you do, even though it's not going to always be roses and daisies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and um, Seth is the man. He is, he's, of course, had a lot of success, and I think he knows exactly what he's talking about. And I, I do think that you have to do your exploration, and sometimes what we see on TV or what we imagine something to be from, from the limited exposure we've had to it isn't everything it's cracked up to be and just doesn't fit our lifestyle at the time. I mean, you have to consider your values and your family and, and you know, how can you travel and how does this fit in? And so, so really doing your homework around that before diving in, I think, is so important and something that I know you talk a lot about in your book as well. Yeah, we call it the, the pre-jump practice, <laughs> which is probably not that fun sounding, but is so important because uh, Seth was even talking about his wife is a baker. A lot of people think that's that's their passion, but waking up at 3 a.m. to bake isn't always their passion. So, Yeah, waking up at 3 a.m. to do anything <laughs> for me <laughs> would true. definitely be crossed off the list very early, Mike. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so, Don, I mean, you, you, you have an amazing perch, like I said, in, in working with folks. Do you find yourself giving the same piece of advice 
quite often. And, and I know, you know, University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School is uh, quite world renowned and, and is um, not easy to get into. But if you could give us a little teaser of what you guys talk about, I know our community would appreciate it. Yeah, I think there's there's two main things that I, I hear myself saying a lot is that, you know, once you decide to do it, go all in, go 100% because confidence breeds confidence. And if you're confident in your ability to do something, that's going to spread. If you're waffling or, or you know, unsure, that's going to spread. And the people who are trying to help you and support you can't support you and can't have confidence in you unless you are. So um, there's a lot of research out there about, you know, sometimes having a plan B actually takes your energy away from your plan A. So we, we coach students, hey, go all in once you decide and, you know, do it for a period of time. There might come a period of time when you say it's not it's not going to work for me or it's not what I thought. And that's okay because a lot of people feel like once they make this leap, there's no going back. But there is going back. You still have the skills and experiences and contacts that you had previously. And now you probably have even more. So, so you're always moving forward despite feeling like, oh, I'm getting off my career path. You're always gaining. And to really be clear about looking at that side. The other thing I would say, and I know this is probably cliche at this point, but you obviously need to engage your network. We don't do anything great in our lives on our own. And you have tons of people out there who care about you and who want to see you succeed. But you have to tell them very specifically how to help you. So, you know, if you want to make a, a big leap, chances are the people you know don't have jobs in that area coming out of their pockets, and but they want to help you. So be very specific and think, what is it that these individuals can do that would be a help to me? So could be make an introduction to somebody. It could be information that you need. It could be posting a flyer. It could be sharing your content on social media or putting a link in their website or something like that. But really get specific about how your network can help you because they want to. You just need to give them something they can actually help with. And I think that's such great advice. And what I would underline is like, the authenticity and the nature of it. Like if you are genuine in what you want to do, people are just going to be way more apt to be like, I'm going to help this person out. And if you ask for advice, people are going to want to help. But uh, oftentimes that can sometimes get misplaced and people just want things. And that's, that's hard and feels more transactional for folks to want to agree to help with on the other end. Yeah, we talk a lot about um, we call creating ambassadors and, you know, the fact that it's really important to build relationships and that, you know, it's it's not as scary as it seems to be out there networking. And when you start to really diagnose your networks and your contacts and you think about all the people, you know, most people know a lot more people than they, they think. And we also talk about the fact that you really can't discount anybody. You can't. And we have we hear a lot. Oh, this person's not in my field or this person doesn't work there, so they can't help me. But second level contacts, which we talk about a lot, that's where most of the magic happens. And so everybody you know has their own networks and their own people. So you have these great relationships with family, friends, neighbors, classmates, and chances are they don't have something that, that might be able to help you today, like a job or a lead, but chances are the people they know do. So start with the people you have these great relationships with, ask them for something specific, and you might be surprised at what they come back with. That's such great advice, and I love how it really does come from that second level of context, which is a bit counterintuitive. You think it's going to be your tribe and crew and your auntie and former babysitter and childhood best friend, but it's oftentimes the, what do they call it, the loose tie, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, the strength of weak ties, which is, is still happening today, and I mean, I think that's one of the whole great things about LinkedIn and, and their second level contacts and things like that. I mean, it's made it much easier than it was a decade or two ago to, to be able to really get out there and get support for your leap. 
Yeah, totally. And now you're putting a book together on a subject that, that is near and dear to my heart called uh, Switchers, which is about people switching careers. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, what the book's about and maybe if you can tease a little bit about what, what you've learned from that and, and what you're going to put out in the, in the messaging? I'd love to. Yep. So the book is called Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. And it's due out um, June, but it's ready for pre-order on Amazon. And the reason I put together this book is because I'm also a licensed psychologist. And what I've realized a lot about the hiring game is that it is, in fact, very much based on psychology. And especially when you're trying to make a switch to something new, a lot of that is really about trying to get somebody to roll the dice on you when you don't have a traditional background. And, and like we talked about earlier in the podcast, the, the challenge right now for people who want to switch is really that the hiring practices haven't caught up in a way that, that makes it easy for them. So, you know, online job applications don't work, headhunters don't work because they're looking for keywords and traditional skills. So a big part of why I put this book together is to help people overcome that bias that's out there from, from you know, the hiring practices and really get to understand what are those obstacles that are getting in the way that, you know, or maybe are in hiring managers' minds or in the systems that are out there. And how can you get around those? Because we know these individuals are extremely skilled. They come with a lot of great experiences and background and they can, you know, hit the ground running, but it's really about getting past those hiring practices. So the book talks about five steps for, for getting through that and really being able to land your switch in a world that may not be ready for it just yet. That is so cool and super helpful. And I, and I think, you know, one of the reasons I was, I was hoping that we could get you on the show and that I was delighted to get to go on yours is that, you know, these are things that are really, you know, relevant and, and helpful. Like these are, these are things you want to know as you think about changing careers. So um, I'm excited to get my hands on it. You can pre-order it on Amazon, it sounds like. And, uh, and Don, I, I hope we can stay in touch and have you back on because I think you dispensed a ton of great and, and very practical guidance for, for anybody, regardless of where you are in your career. So thank you, uh, Don Graham from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania for coming on the When to Jump podcast. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for listening to the When to Jump podcast. The show is produced by me, Alex Abnos, for Macmillan Podcasts. The senior editor for the network is Alyssa Martino. You can find out more about us and our other great shows at macmillanpodcasts.com. When to Jump is a global community connecting people that want to make a big change in their life. You can find out more at whentojump.com and follow on social media across all platforms at whentojump, all one word. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.